Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Good morning to all of you joining us at all of our venues. Great to worship with you on this very foggy uh, morning. If you're worshiping with us this morning, that means you're probably not running in the Cowtown Marathon. Uh, I think we're the smart ones. Um, but uh, if you're watching it later on, you're the fit ones. And uh, thanks for joining us even later. Hope you had a great race. But everyone, would you please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 16 to 26. It's page 975, 975 if you're opening a blue Bible. Uh, you need an open copy of the scriptures and you need your sermon notes. Some of the things that we're going to be talking about will not come up on the screens. I want you to see them for yourselves and I also want you to record a couple of things and write some things down. Uh, one of the things I want you to write down while you turn there, please, is I I talked about during our vision sermon about our make conference. We want to help you make disciples and give you some concrete ways to do that. We talked about the help was attending our make conference this spring. Well, we've set a date for that. So just save the date for March 31st, Friday night, March 31st, one night only. Uh, we're going to be having our make conference. It will be at each of our campuses. It'll be streamed to the West Campus and the South Campus uh, where Dr. Jonathan Murphy will be leading us uh, during that time. So just save the date, uh, details and info to follow, okay? Well, now I want to address the elephant in the room. And as soon as I use that phrase, some of you get very nervous because you don't know exactly what that means. Because when we use that phrase, the elephant in the room, it oftentimes carries a negative connotation. Because that phrase, elephant in the room, has been used uh, as an idiom to describe a, a, a topic or, or something that is controversial or uh, you know, it, it's just destructive. It's uncomfortable to talk about those things. So oftentimes what we do with the elephant in the room is exactly what these folks do with it. You ignore it. You, you just ignore it. it. It's right there. You can't miss it. But you're afraid to address the elephant in the room. And the reason why you're afraid to address it is because you're afraid that the elephant is going to wreck the room. You're afraid that if you address the elephant in the room, then it's going to kill the good vibe that you had going on, or it's going to destroy that relationship with that other person, or it's just going to convolute or confuse the path forward. At least that's what, what you think. And so because there are such high stakes in your mind of what could potentially change, you just try to ignore this huge, ominous presence and just get by it. Just, just don't address the elephant in the room at all. But we all know that it's unhealthy to ignore that elephant in the room. You've got to address the elephant in the room. It's the only healthy thing to do. And that's why today we are going to address the elephant in the room, and the elephant in the room is the Holy Spirit. You see, many of us, I think, treat the Holy Spirit like the elephant in the room. This huge, ominous, powerful presence that's not only in the room, but in our lives as believers, 
But we are afraid that if we address the Holy Spirit, if we bring him up, if we, if we talk to him at all, that he's going to wreck our lives. He's going to kill the good vibe that we had going on. He's going to change the relationships that we have with other people. And he's going to clutter and confuse our path forward. You see, we like the way that things are right now. And we're afraid if we address the Holy Spirit, this elephant in the room, that things are going to change and we don't really want things to change. Because we oftentimes think of the elephant in the room in a negative way. But what if we began to think of the elephant in the room, the Holy Spirit, in a positive way? As someone who's not only in the room, but in our lives, not to wreck your life, but to bring you life, to give you life, who's this this powerful presence that doesn't want to ruin your life, but wants to pave a path forward so that you can experience the abundant life in Christ that Jesus paid for in full, that he can break down barriers in your life, that he can set you free from sin that so often hinders us and entangles us in our lives? What if we started addressing the Holy Spirit, the elephant in the room, as a positive presence in our lives? I think it would change us all for the better, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So that's why we're looking at Galatians chapter 5, where we're going to be looking at what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to us on a daily basis basis. And that's going to be a key phrase as we go throughout here as we do part two of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now before we get into our text for today, what I would like to do is give you the overall big picture so that we can kind of summarize because today we're going to end our mini-series on the Holy Spirit. And so at the top of your sermon notes, I've put a little gray box that says, you know, the big picture of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do is just walk through that very quickly so that you understand where we've been so that that you understand the foundation and where we're headed today. So remember, Acts chapter 2 is where we began when the Holy Spirit came upon all of those believers at Pentecost and something was born or birthed called the church of which we are are a part of today. And so then we broke it down and we started going into our mini-series on the Holy Spirit. And the first week was Dr. Bailey setting up the personhood of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. And that's going to be key to one of the things we're going to talk about uh, today as we go throughout this. So first, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity sent by God the Father and God the Son to equip and empower the believer for their work in of the church and the witness to the world. So it's a person. That was week one, setting up the personhood and deity of the Holy Spirit. The second week, last week, was uh, Jonathan Murphy. And Jonathan talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to those believers at the moment of salvation. Instantaneously. That when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you are immediately indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that you are the temple of God. God no longer resides in a place. He now resides in in a person, in his people. So he talks about we are immediately indwelled and therefore sealed for an eternal destiny, for a certain destiny, and baptized 
identified not only with Christ, but with his church. That was week two. What immediately happens upon belief? And what we're going to talk about this week is what does it look like to live with the Holy Spirit in our lives on a daily basis? Every day, what does that, that look like? That's the big picture. So that's why I put those all on your sermon notes, because I just want you to understand where we've been and where we're headed. But one of the keys that I want you to understand in that third point on the big picture, it says, after salvation, if week two was at salvation, what we're going to be talking about today is after salvation, that after salvation, the Holy Spirit enables the believer to live in a manner that is pleasing to God, best for them and for those around them on a daily basis. Now, one of the things I want you to underline on your notes is after, after salvation, And here's why I want you to underline that, because it's key for everything we're talking about today. Because everything we're talking about today only applies to those of you who have placed your trust in Jesus Christ. uh, Let me address a different elephant in the room. There are those of you who have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life, if you, even if you haven't placed your trust in Jesus Christ. John chapter 16, verse 8, says that the Holy Spirit is trying to convict you of your sin, point you toward the righteousness of Christ so that you do not face the judgment for your sin. So the Holy Spirit is active in your life, trying to point you to Jesus to place your trust in him. That's your first step. The rest of this stuff is for those of you who have placed your trust in Jesus. So if you haven't done that and haven't made that decision yet, I've been praying for you all week that today would be the day because you'll see this stuff. And I think for those of you that have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, this is very encouraging what, how the Holy Spirit lives with us on a daily basis. And I hope for those of you that haven't trusted Christ, it's attractive to you. And you go, I want that because that's what's available to you. So we're gonna jump into this about how the Holy Spirit interacts with us on a daily basis and how we cooperate with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, and I'll explain what that means. So three major ministries of the Holy Spirit and how he interacts with us, and the first one is this, that the Holy Spirit fills us to direct us toward lives of Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit fills us to direct us toward lives of Christ-likeness. The main ministry that we're going to talk about here is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to differentiate some terms very quickly because there are three terms that oftentimes uh, get confused and used synonymously that do not mean the same things. And those three terms are indwelled, baptized, and filled. So remember, last week we talked about in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's immediate upon belief. That is a one-time permanent event. One-time permanent. Baptizing of the Holy Spirit. That, again, is a one-time permanent event where you are identified with Christ and his body, the church. Those two things are different, and those two things are different than the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit, biblically speaking, has two facets to it. 
It has to do with the possession by God of a person for a special calling or a special service to the church, to his people. Because we see this in the Old Testament where people were filled with the Holy Spirit. People like craftsmen. He filled craftsmen with the Holy Spirit to build the tabernacle. Do you remember that? He filled judges to rule over God's people. He filled King David to rule over his people, possessing a person for God's purposes. Okay? Now, the, what we're talking about today, when we talk about this filling, think about that very quickly is that we just talked about how the indwelling is permanent. So he already possesses you. He indwells you. He's got you. He paid for you. In fact, that 1 Corinthians chapter 6 passage says that you have been bought with the price. You are no longer your own. You belong to him. You are possessed by him. Now you are set apart for a special calling and a special service. Well, how do you fulfill that special calling or purpose in your life that you've been set aside for well you fulfill it by being filled with the holy spirit and we get this from ephesians chapter 5 ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 paul says this and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the holy spirit So this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit means yielding control to God. Being controlled, he contrasts it with being controlled with a foreign substance. This is why he says, do not get drunk with wine. When when you are now being controlled, your faculties inhibited by something that is in you. That's what he's contrasting it with. And so now he's saying, be filled with, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be yielded to his influence in your life. Not the influence of wine, but the influence of, Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. And so the way that we are filled with the Holy Spirit is when we yield control to the Holy Spirit. When we give up control. When we say, God, it's your will not my will. That is how we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's why he can command it. Because if you notice in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it's a command. Do you see that? Be filled. That, that means you can have something to do with it. You can cooperate. The Holy Spirit wants to use you, but you can also say no, which you're going to see in the, the passage that we're going to study next. So that's why he says, give up control. Be controlled by the Spirit. So in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, here's my application for you. Make room for the Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, make room for the Spirit. I want to say some very important things I don't want you to miss. Because, again, this doctrine gets, gets confused and the understanding of what fit, being filled with the Holy Spirit means. First, you have all the Holy Spirit that you need. You have all of the Holy Spirit. You don't have half of the Holy Spirit and need to pray for more of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we see no example throughout the New Testament of anyone praying for more of the Holy Spirit. 
So you have all of the Holy Spirit that you need. But while you can't get more of him, there can be less of you. You can't get more of him, but there can be less of you. Less of of your will, less of your way, less of your desires. And the more space that you give him in your life, the more space that he fills. That's how he can command you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's giving him the different areas of your life, giving him more space to move, more space to to work within you. So give him more space. I'll I'll give you an illustration. Uh, It is uh, pretty much every weekend that we do a McQueen run to the grocery store. And I don't get all our groceries online. I, I'm, I'm old school. I go to the grocery store. And, but before we go to the grocery store, uh, one of the things that, that we always try to do is we try to clean out the pantry, the fridge, and the freezer. We, we try to go in and look at what no longer is fresh. What is, what is rotten in the refrigerator? so that we can throw out what is rotten, and then we can get some fresh stuff to go and fill the fridge. Because the more stuff that we get rid of that's rotten, the more space we have to put in fresh food that is nutritious for our family to eat the rest of the week. Because it's very easy to look into that fridge and go, oh, it's full, but there's you know, mold on the raspberries and you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And you're like, let's get rid of that. Guys, the same is true in our lives. We, we, we let rotten stuff stick around for way too long. And it's time, it's time to throw that out. It's time to throw it out and say, God, I want to give that space to you. For you to come in. For you to fill it with something, something fresh. Something that's vibrant. Something that's lively, that, that's vivid, that will bring health to my life and to those around me. You can't get more of the Holy Spirit, but there can be less of you. So give him space in your life. That's what it means to be filled by the Spirit, to be yielded to his control so that you look more like Christ, to be used like Christ in and around you. So that was what the filling looks like. But what does it look like on a daily basis as we give him more room? Well, second, the Holy Spirit walks with us so we stay away from sin that destroys our lives. The Holy Spirit walks with us so we stay away from sin that destroys our lives. If you remember, the effect of sin, most succinctly put, is in John chapter 10, verse 10, where it talks about the effect of the enemy in our life who wants to lead us to sin. And that sin uh, still steals, kills, and destroys. Uh, it, it, it steals our joy. It kills our relationship. It destroys our peace. And so that's why the Holy Spirit always wants to direct you away from sin and direct you toward a righteous life in Christ, direct you towards what what he wants for your life. And so we see this, that the Holy Spirit directs us toward life and away from sin in Galatians chapter 5. 
And this is why I wanted you to turn there, because uh, a few of these verses are not going to come on the screen. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, it gives us this picture of how the Holy Spirit leads us away from sin on a daily basis. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh, that is sin, and you'll see that illustrated here. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, why does he say the things you want to do? Because if the Spirit of God resides in your life, then he is leading you toward Christ-likeness. Those are the things that you want to do. But your flesh is, is contradictory to the Spirit. Your flesh says, I don't want to do that. I want to be angry. I, have you been there before? I've been there before. Where I, I go, Jesus, I know you're leading me to go make peace but I want to be mad. And that's wrong. That's sin. That is contradictory to what the Spirit of God is telling you, and I fight him. That's the picture that is here. I'm not giving him room to work in my life. He says the works of the flesh are evident. Look at verses 19 to 21 if you open the Bible. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident or obvious Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Don't you love that last phrase? Because if you got through all the rest of them, you're like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And it's like, and things like these. It's like that catch-all phrase. You're like, dang. Because we've all been there, where, where we've, we've gone the other direction. You see these, Paul is setting these up as polar opposites. They, they, they do not coexist together, and there is no middle ground. You're either going towards sin and selfishness, or you're going toward Christ-likeness. And he tells us what that life of Christ-likeness looks like when we walk by the Spirit who leads us away from sin. In verses 22 and 24, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, there is no limit. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's what the life looks like when we walk by the Spirit. Now, I want to I explain that preposition quickly by. I think, yes, it does mean alongside, but it also means with the power of. That you're walking by the power of, not depending upon your own power or own strength, because we will fall into sin if we try to walk by our flesh, by our, our own uh, willpower. It takes a supernatural divine power called the Holy Spirit to set us free and walk away from sin. That's why when we talk about walking in the Spirit, uh, the picture that I always have in my mind, and you guys have heard this before because I preach this, but it's just worth repeating, is a three-legged race. That, that's, that's the picture in my mind when we think of walking by the power of the Spirit. Now, you know what a three-legged race is. 
which is, by the way, just weird to say because shouldn't it be three-legged race? But that sounds weird saying it, three-legged race. just sounds better to say three-legged, like naked. I, I don't know. Like, it's just weird. Okay, three-legged race. You know what that is, where two people are joined together to make three legs. And you see, they're bound together. I mean, yes, they, they can get apart, but the, the picture, this is how I picture us walking with the Holy Spirit. Because if you remember, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul tells us that we are running a race. And he says, doesn't everyone who runs a race run in order to win the race? God wants you to win the race. God wants you to win against sin. Therefore, the way that he helps you win is he partners you with and bounds you to the power, his divine power, the Holy Spirit, so that now you can walk with him away from sin into the abundant life that looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's, and not only that, guys, but let's, let's go back to the analogy and picture that we used at the very beginning. Just to make it more concrete, you are bound to, in this race, in this three-legged race, you're bound to an elephant, like, like a powerful person that, that can break through sin, that, like, don't miss that. Don't miss the power that's available to you. And, he, and he, wants to, he wants to carry you. He wants to lead you. You're not as powerful as an elephant. You're not as powerful as the Holy Spirit. That's why he put him next to you. Because he knows that you can't do it in your own flesh. That you can't run the race by yourself, but he wants you to win the race. So he ties you to himself. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now, you don't have to cooperate. You can say, I don't want to go the way that you're going. I just gave you an example of a time when I didn't, and I had to confess that as sin. But you can say, say no. And in fact, there's, there's two specific ways that, that Paul tells us in his epistles that you should not say no to the Holy Spirit. And the first one is this. He, he tells us we're admonished to walk by the Spirit so you don't grieve the Spirit. You don't grieve the Spirit. And grieve means exactly what you think it means, to make sad. And I love that, I love that, uh, that, that picture there because what this reminds us is that the Holy Spirit is a person. You can make God sad. I can make God sad. And, and I do when I disobey, when I go the other way or want to go my own way. And he admonishes us to not grieve the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 and 32. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That goes back to day one, permanent one-time event. That was week two. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. 
just real quickly, one of the ways, this tells us two specific ways that we grieve or make sad the Holy Spirit who is bound to us. It's when we harbor things that we shouldn't, the rotten food in the fridge, and when we don't treat others well, like Christ has treated us. Just two very simple ways. And you go, how does that grieve him? How does that make him sad? It's because he's a person. He's in the room. He's right there. He's watching you. He's listening to you. He knows your thoughts. And he knows what he has for you is better. Better than what you're harboring. Better than how you're treating other people. Better. And he wants you to reach your full potential in Christ. And when you're not, that that hurts him. Just like it would hurt you when you see someone you love not living up to their full potential. Grieve him the same way. Second way that he encourages us to cooperate with him and not go against him. He says, walk by the Spirit so you don't quench the Spirit. This word quench means suppress or stifle or extinguish. Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 19, it says, rejoice always. These are some of the shortest verses in the Bible. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. This tells us what it looks like to not if you're giving thanks in all circumstances, praying continually, etc., don't quench, don't suppress. The, the picture that is there in quench is um, putting out a fire. And if you go all the way back to Acts chapter 2, when we talked about it, when they saw tongues of fire, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, I think it's very apropos that he's using this word quench, which means throwing cold water on a fire. And you throw cold water or quench, suppress, stifle the Holy Spirit when you say, I am not listening to you. I am not heeding your direction. I'm not going the same way you're going. And let me tell you, my friend, if you do that for so long, you're kicking against the goads. It's it's futile. It's like trying to go in a different direction in a three-legged race when you're bound to an elephant. You're, 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 you're going to find enmity and strife with God. It's not going to go well for you. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit, but rather walk in the Spirit. But how do you walk in the Spirit? Well, to walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. You're already bound together in this race, so keep in step with him. And there's two things when we think about keeping in step with. The first is pace. And the second is direction. Pace and direction. When you think about keeping in step with. So you want to go at the, the pace that the Holy Spirit leads you. We can't all be the Apostle Paul tomorrow. But we can take the next obedient step. And we need to go in his direction, the direction he's leading us, and not our own direction. That's what it means to keep in step with. And so rather than an illustration, I want to give you an activity to do. This week, find a friend or a loved one or a family member or someone 
and I would like you to tie a bandana around your leg for 10 minutes and cook dinner together. And let me know how that goes, okay? It'll be a great exercise for you to realize what it is to consider another person, to communicate with that other person, and coordinate your steps together. And all of those things that you sense with that friend, family member, loved one, whomever, that's how you're supposed to relate to the Holy Spirit. And say, hey, should we go cut the vegetables now? You know, and you don't have to ask the Holy Spirit, should you cut the vegetables now? But you get the point. Pace and direction, communication, coordination. Try that activity. Ten minutes. Make dinner. It'll show you how to see the Holy Spirit in a completely different way, I promise. And then third, third way that the Holy Spirit interacts with us on a daily basis is he gives us gifts to serve one another in the body of Christ. He gives us gifts to serve one another in the body of Christ. You, when, when you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, you are given a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a gift given by the Holy Spirit for spiritual purposes. It's not a personality trait. It's not a natural ability. This is something supernatural and divine that God gives you for the service unto him, specifically his church. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. It says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. A few things I want to say about gifts very, very quickly. Uh, by the way, you can go and go look. There's four specific places in the New Testament where we see spiritual gifts. First uh, Peter 4. Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, and Romans 12. 4, 4, 12, 12. 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Okay? So go look at those because I don't have time to go into all those particular gifts. But here's a few things that I want to say. First, you do not get to choose what gift you have. The Holy Spirit gives it to you. He appoints those, just like 1 Corinthians 12 says. Okay? Second, spiritual gifts are not self-serving. They're not given to you to make much of you. They're not given to you to serve you. In fact, the context of 1 Corinthians 12 is a body that each, are, each has a very specific role. The eye is not the hand. The hand is not the foot. And they all play a different role, which third tells me that not one person has every gift. Not, not, not one person gets every gift. We all get specific gifts, individual ones, which leads me to my, my last thing is this. You will be held accountable whether or not you use God's gift. And if you do not use God's gift, then we, the body, suffer. We suffer. If my, uh, if my arm is hurt and it does not work or function, 
I'm, I'm operating with only one arm. The bo- my body suffers. If you are not exercising your spiritual gift to serve Christ and to serve the body, we are suffering, and guess what? You are too. You're missing out on sensing God working in and through you. And my guess is, total guess, this is a shot in the dark, but the majority of us do not know our spiritual gift. And so here's my application for you. To discover your spiritual gift, begin serving to surface God's power. Begin serving to surface God's power. You can go back and read those four different passages that I just told you about, the different spiritual gifts. But here's one thing I will go ahead and tell you about them. There is no spiritual gift of pew sitting. God did not give you a gift to come and sit and soak. He gave you a gift to serve. And that's one of the reasons why I say start serving to surface his power. Okay, I don't know what that looks like for you, uh, but I'll tell you a story because this reminds me of the old Scottish Olympian. Many of you remember uh, Eric Liddell, uh, Chariots of Fire, back in 19, you know, made in 1981, that, that film. But there's a great line in there. He, he was an Olympian, but also turned into a missionary. But there's a great line that he's famous for, for saying, and that is, God made me fast, and I feel his pleasure when I run. Think about this. How did he know he was fast? How did he know God made him fast? Because he ran. He started running and was like, wow, I'm fast. And when he was running is when he sensed God's pleasure in his life. You see, some of you just need to start running to to figure out how God made you and to surface his power and to sense his pleasure in your life. Some of you are very discontent because you're sitting and soaking. I want you to experience God's power and God's pleasure in your life and that will only... only come when you begin to exercise that spiritual gift and serve his body on a daily basis because you are bound to that elephant and that elephant wants to take you to great places and to do great things in your life. So don't ignore the elephant in the room. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you choose to indwell us and walk with us on a daily basis blows my mind every day. Lord God, may we be filled with your spirit, each of us individually on a daily basis as we give up control to you and say, not my will, God, but your will. Fill us, walk with us, empower us, lead us away from sin, set us free from sin, Lord God, so that we may serve your body and glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.